0: Some major zero-day vulnerabilities have been found in Samsung chips that affect even Google Pixels, so stay tuned for that. PayPal admits to breaching the data of over 35,000 customers. A ransomware victim is suing the hospital that leaked her nude photos and much, much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 126, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news from the past week. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And I am
1: Henry from Tech Lore.
0: Okay, our promo segment this week, as usual, we are entirely listener supported. You guys are solely helping us keep doing this thing. We thank you very much. If you want to get a little bit of something in return for that, we have Patreon. $5 a month, you can be part of the Q&A, which was massive this week, by the way. So we may have to start cutting questions here soon. And for $10 a month, you get uh, a version of this podcast that doesn't have this little promo segment and also has some extra uh, tangents, jokes, goodies, just additional analysis, things like that. If you don't care about any of that, but you still want to support us in a recurring fashion, like a set it and forget it kind of thing, we have LibrePay. And last but not least, we have Monero, which is much more manual, but is totally anonymous. We don't see anything about you, but we do see that you have contributed. And we thank you all very, very much. That means a lot to us. Let's start off with our highlight story, which is actually a really big one. I saw this one making the rounds a lot. And a lot of people are understandably concerned about it. It says Google finds 18 zero-day vulnerabilities in Samsung Exynos chipset. So this comes from Google's Project Zero, which is their research team. I'm gonna quote the article a little bit here. It says, the Exynos modem security flaws were reported between late 2022 and early 2023. Four of the 18 zero days were identified as the most serious, enabling remote code execution from the internet to the baseband, unquote. The article goes on to say that the only information required for this exploit is the victim's phone number. And in some cases, an experienced attacker could easily make this a zero-click exploit. So if an attacker knows what they're doing, and has your phone number, they can zero day your phone or like zero click your phone and infect it and just take over your phone. Uh, This impacts a bunch of devices. There's Samsung S models like the S22. There's the M and A series and notably the Pixel 6 and 7 series. So 6, 6A, 7, 7 Pro, all of that, as well as a few others listed in the article. Until the patch has been applied, and I'll talk about that in a second, Project Zero recommends disabling Wi-Fi calling and voice over LTE or VOLTE. Samsung has released a patch. So now it's up to the vendors to go ahead and get it out. For Pixel users, this was actually included in the March 2023 security update from Google. For everybody else, it's kind of on your own. So if you're on an Android, if you have the March 2023 update, you're good. If you're on a custom OS that has already like modified and pushed out that update to you guys, you're good. For everybody else, check your, your vendor, check your updates. And I'm just gonna go ahead and get on my personal soapbox real quick. I still don't have the March security update. I checked it. Just before we started recording, I'm told it's available on the website, but when I went to look into it, I read somewhere that it basically factory resets your phone, so I'm not going to do that. So, yeah, I'm real pissed about this. And also, some there's a lot of debate over whether it's carrier-specific or device-specific. Some people can't disable Wi-Fi calling. Like, it's
1: grayed out. It's grayed out on my phone. I, I can't do that. All right, well, let's go ahead and move into the data breaches, and we're going to try to go through this quickly here. So the first one is from DeFi Lender. A DeFi lender, Euler? So Euler's the DeFi lender. Okay. I don't even, I can't keep up with all the Web3 jargon nowadays. So DeFi lender Euler Finance, I guess Euler Finance is their name, was hit by a $197 million hack, experts say. The bulk of the hacker's loot, worth roughly $135 million, was denominated in staked Ether tokens, while the remainder was held in wrapped Bitcoin and stable coins like DAI and USDC. Some of the funds are already being laundered through Tornado Cash. The company has just about $10 million remaining. Of all of the things I said there, the only term I actually understood was Tornado Cash, because I've heard about Tornado (laughs) Cash. So my question, do I need to do more research, or should I just continue to ignore this entire world because it's not relevant to many things I do? (laughs) 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 No offense to the crypto people, I'd go with the second one. Like,
0: I understand, I don't know how staking works, but I've heard of staking, I've heard of stablecoins, I've never heard of DAI, but I've heard of USDC. I don't know what wrapped bitcoins are either. Um, But yeah, I think that's just, like, more advanced crypto stuff, to be honest. If you're, like, really big into crypto, those are the kind of things you'd be familiar with. Our next data breach comes from the LA Housing Authority, who has disclosed a data breach after a ransomware attack. The LA Housing Authority is a state agency operating on a $1 billion annual budget, and they provide affordable housing to low-income individuals and families in Los Angeles, as well as job training and education so that they can get on their feet and support themselves. Data possibly stolen, they haven't confirmed it yet because they're still investigating, but the data that could have possibly been stolen based on what was accessed includes full name, social security number, date of birth, passport number, driver's license, state ID number, tax ID number, military ID number, government-issued ID number, uh, credit or debit card number, financial account number, health insurance info and medical info so that's a lot of information lockbit has claimed credit and threatened to publish the data and the housing authority refused to pay the ransom but the download link doesn't seem to work for some reason and the information has not popped up anywhere else on the dark web that we are aware of yet so a little I i mean it sounds like it's a legit breach but just unclear what the status of that information getting leaked is
1: next latitude cyber attack leads to data theft at two service providers Latitude Financial Services is one of Australia's largest personal loan providers and the country's largest non-bank consumer credit lender. So Latitude says they were breached, which allowed access to an employee's credentials, which were then used to log into two of the company's service providers to steal customer data. It includes about 230,000 total customers, 103,000 of which are mostly driver's licenses. What other data was stolen has not been clarified, so make sure to stay subscribed as we might get updates on this story. Speaking of updates, PayPal breach exposed personal information of 35,000
0: users. So this happened in December of 2022. I'm not sure if we covered it. Honestly, we have so many breaches at this point. I'm starting to lose track. Uh, PayPal has confirmed that the attackers may have accessed names, addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, dates of birth, social security numbers, bank account numbers, and PayPal balances. PayPal is offering free credit monitoring, free credit monitoring and ID theft protection services, as always, and they are recommending that impacted users change their passwords. So I'm assuming if you were impacted, you would have been notified by now. One user from California has launched a class action lawsuit alleging negligence, breach of contract, and several other things. He says that by the time he got his breach notifications, he went ahead and pulled his credit, checked his credit. There were already several unauthorized inquiries on his credit report. And for those who don't know, there's two kinds of inquiries, but one type will actually damage your credit. So he, he could have suffered damage credit, uh, a reduction in his score from this. And he is alleging that PayPal support was useless, which is going to come as a real shock to anyone who's ever dealt with PayPal support. I know. And he's launching a class action. And like Henry
1: said, stay subscribed and... I'm sure we'll be hearing about that in the future and letting you know. Hitachi Energy confirms a data breach after Klopp GoAnywhere attacks. No details have been released in this article other than to say that employee data was taken in some fashion, but it looks like GoAnywhere is another example of one popular service suffering a breach or vulnerability and how it just tends to cascade. And then our final data breach comes from the NBA. It says NBA alerts
0: fans of data breach by exposing personal information. That is the, uh, what is that, National Basketball Association, for those of you who are like me and don't sports ball. I think so. I also Um, wouldn't know for sure, but yeah, I think so. (laughs) It's basketball. That much I am sure of. I know it's basketball. (laughs) Um, The name and email addresses from a third-party newsletter service were affected. So, like, you know... uh, MailChimp or something like that. Uh, fans are advised to be aware of phishing attacks and just be on guard. And I just want to point out, this is another great article to share with your friends and family, especially if they're into sports. Like, I, I actually did this. I have a friend who's a, into sports. I went ahead and texted him, and I was like, hey, man, I, I, like, I don't know if you've signed up for the newsletter, but the NBA had a data breach, and he ultimately, he was like, I'm not too big into basketball, but thanks for letting me know. So, yeah, this is, this is one of those articles where, again, if you have friends and family who do sports ball, go ahead and send them this, and like, hey, I don't know if you signed up for the newsletter, but just be aware. Keep an eye out for phishing attacks. And it could
1: open the door to have that conversation. All right, let's go into the companies. And we're going to start with a quick story that a ransomware group claims a hack of Amazon's ring. The ring says they have not found any evidence of a breach, but it did acknowledge a third-party vendor was hit with ransomware. That's a very interesting way of wording that um that's about it <laughs> we so didn't far. get breached they did yeah yeah it impact they don't say it impacts them and their data and their customers but it wasn't us that got breached but you, you know
0: i'm kind of uh, dating myself but it just makes me think of that uh, comedian ron white one of his more famous bits is he got drunk in a bar and got kicked out and the police ended up getting called and charging him with being drunk in public and he's like i'm not drunk in public I was drunk in a bar. They threw me into public.
1: <laughs> that's just what it makes me think of. That's 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 pretty on brand. That's pretty much exactly <laughs> what it's like, yeah. Um, that's about it so far, actually. It's unclear what data the group may have, and clearly Amazon isn't really wanting to talk much about it, so... Um that's all we have so far and I'm sure we're going to get updates to this. Our next story comes from NordVPN and is
0: actually very surprising. It says NordVPN has open sourced its Linux VPN client and a couple of libraries. Quoting the article it says, "We're making these products open source as a sign of our commitment to transparency and accountability." That's what their announcement said. I'll just leave that alone. Interestingly, it includes instructions on how to compile the Linux client. So you can actually go to GitHub right now, download it, modify it, compile it, the whole nine, which is super interesting. Uh, Like I said, they also included two libraries. They included LibDrop, which is used for sending and receiving files over MeshNet and LibTelio, which is basically the library they use to create their encrypted tunnels. So again, pretty much everything you need to make the client on your own. A day before they did this, they had announced that their MeshNet private tunnel would be free for all users. Uh, I I read into that to figure out what it was. It's just a feature they offer to connect to other devices. So you could like connect back to your home device and like you know, access files that are on your home computer, for example, it's kind of interesting, but whatever, it's just a feature they offer. And the article points out that Nord is still part of a bug bounty program via hacker one, where they pay anywhere between 10,000 and $50,000, depending on the vulnerability you find. So, um, I don't think either of us is going to run out and say, go get Nord VPN, but that is a surprising and good
1: move. I, I think anytime anybody's more transparent, I think that's good. So congratulations. Next story, a cancer patient sues a hospital after Ransomware Gang leaks her nude medical photos. This is a story that flew beneath our radars originally. So in February, Alf V Ransomware Gang attacked a Valley Medical Network. Le- 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 lehigh. <laughs> v- also, High I think Valley. it's pronounced
0: Alpha. I think it just stylizes it as Alf V
1: got it. This hospital was attacked and they stole images of patients um, and for their health records of 75,000 people. When they refused to pay, they released the data, including images of at least two breast cancer patients naked from the waist up. One of those patients is now suing the organization, alleging that the heat was preventable and seriously damaging. The patient was told that in addition to the photos being online and offered two years of free credit monitoring, because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> That'll make up for my nudes being online against my right way. Thanks, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to worry about my – I don't know. Maybe there was other data – Okay, yeah, so the gang did steal things like physical address, email. Okay, my first thought was like, oh, so they leaked their nudes. Better better watch out for my, my accounts getting breached. But no, there was actually things like physical addresses, email addresses, date of birth, social security numbers, health insurance provider, medical diagnosis, treatment information, lab results. Um, so that was all done. So um, hopefully they have protection for the next two years because that's all they got for free. Our next story says Marvel
0: wants Reddit to expose mods suspected of Ant-Man 3 leak. I'm going to quote the article here. In January, a month before Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania was released in theaters, a link to the leaked script was post- Uh, posted on the Marvel Studios spoiler subreddit. Last Friday, a Marvel Studios affiliate filed DMCA subpoena applications to compel Reddit and Google, because it was stored in Google Drive, to expose the leakers. One named user account is shared among the subreddit's moderator team. Court documents indicate the plan is to force Reddit to expose them all, unquote. I don't know if, I think the mods did delete this data. I don't know, but either way, like the moderator is not the one that leaked it. The user is. And now just because he happens to be Or he or she, they happen to be a moderator of the subreddit. Now they're caught up in this. Um, Yeah, it's just a reminder. to. And Reddit is actually, for all the flaws Reddit has, Reddit is actually one of the easiest social networks to make private. Because you can sign up over a VPN. You can use a forwarding email address. You actually don't even need to use an email address. That's something they don't advertise. But on the page when you're signing up and it asks you to put in an email address... If you look real close underneath it or down in the corner, you can click like skip this step or something like that. Yeah, so I mean Reddit's actually a pretty easy one to make anonymous and it's really unfortunate that they're going after, in my opinion, unrelated people here. I digress. Just This is just your reminder to be
1: careful online because you never know what you'll get caught up in that's not your fault. Credit cards have paused efforts to track gun purchases after pushback. So um, Nate wrote here that the outlet's definitely kind of biased, but the story still says the same and the headline says it all. Um, If you guys don't remember, we talked about how they were trying to add financial tracking codes to gun purchases as a form, as a way for like banks or visa to track um, what those purchases are so they could say, oh, this is a gun purchase. Though when we looked into it, we realized that literally everything out there has pretty much a tracking code, including very sensitive things like doctor's visits Medical stuff. Um, Really, everything. Medical donations, religious donations. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So, this really isn't like a direct attack against. I mean, it could be a way to track gun purchases. We're not saying that, but this really is a broader issue than that. So, Um, but that is an update. I guess it's a small win, but we still have those like million other sensitive things out there that they're tracking that I guess people don't seem to care about. People love privacy when it like is relevant to them. I hate that, (laughs) you know? All right. With that, we'll move into research.
0: And we're going to start off with another pixel story. It's a great week to be a pixel user. Let me tell you the headline says screenshots edited in pixels. Markup tool could be unedited with Acropolis. Yeah. Acropolis exploit. So, quoting the article, researchers have gone public with an exploit they're dubbing Acropolis, which in essence allows anyone to take a PNG screenshot cropped in Android's default tool and undo at least some of the edits to produce uh, portions of the image that were not intended for viewing. While the exploit was reported to Google and is patched in the March security update that I still don't have, redacted images sent on certain platforms, including but not limited to Discord prior to mid-January, Uh, through the last several years could be at risk of being exposed other platforms and tools also have this vulnerability apple has something very similar with the um the the like drawing on it tool where like you take a screenshot and let's say you want to like like I actually do this a lot at work. I'll I'll take a screenshot of something and then I'll blur out like you know where I am for for sensitive reasons and then I'll post it and kind of make fun of the person. But on Apple, you can actually pull that down and undo the blur that I just did. We've covered how I think it's Google Drive and like Adobe and a couple other tools you can undo the crop because basically all it does is tell the file pretend like this stuff isn't there, but you you can undo that very easily. I guess one way around it would be to like crop your screenshot and then screenshot it again, <laughs> which I guess kind of sucks if you're trying to like if you're trying to crop it in such a way that your like carrier and stuff isn't visible because then you just keep doing it. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. And the bigger the bigger issue here is, like they say, if you go back years and years and years, people who've been using phone these phones for quite a while may have sent many images that are now at risk. The defense here is, like I always say, at, at least I always say, anything you put in a digital format, just assume that it's going to be exposed. So. If you're not prepared to take that risk, then you probably shouldn't do it.
1: Or also, I really you know, I really do enjoy cropping things in Signal. I, I don't generally crop my images in my native cropping tools. I didn't even I, think I, about that. I, yeah. I don't trust them. Because even with Apple, you can undo it. Um, I don't like the concept of undoing changes to a crop. Um, and with Signal, um, if I'm ever unsure about something, I'll send something via Signal note to self. And I'll crop it and I'll send it to myself. I love talking to myself on Signal. It's all I do all day, obviously. (laughs) And then I can, you know, save that. So what I'll do, even if you're not going to send it to someone on Signal, right? So let's say you don't have a contact on Signal. You want to send something to them via SMS or whatever. You can send that image to yourself via Signal. A note to self, crop it in Signal, and then save that image again. You'll have a copy of the image, and then you can send that to whatever app you want to. I did want to say, because you opened this by saying like, oh, another pixel issue. And look oh my God, it's crazy. Like we get accused, you know, we cover stories and I'm I'm sure we're going to get people saying, oh, you guys hate pixels. And it's like, no, like I hate them so much. I'm using one and I'm very happy with it. Right. That's how much I hate Pixels. <laughs> I am not currently using a Pixel right now, but that doesn't mean I still don't think it's a good option. These exploits happen on both sides of the coin. In a month, we might see four, five major iPhone exploits. We just don't know. that These exploits don't mean we don't encourage people to use these. However, if something consistently gets exploits and it's a consistent problem over time and they're not dealing with it well and their response is terrible, that's a different story. But these are things that we just have to respond to, and it's just kind of the nature of the privacy and security world. So before we get people thinking that, like, oh, time to move to an iPhone, maybe an iPhone's right for you, but maybe, you know, still remaining on a Pixel's fine. It just depends on who you are. So, again, this is the news. These aren't our I'm recommendations that we sort through and try to feed you guys what we want you to think. I'm not getting rid of my pixel, man. I'm happy with it. Next story here AI can fool voice recognition used to verify identity by Centrelink and Australian Tax Office. So, oh, Centrelink, not Centrelink. Although, who knows? Maybe that's how it's pronounced, but um, I'm going to say Centrelink and the ATO, which is the Australian tax office, both give people the option of using a voice print along with other information to verify their identity over the phone, allowing them to then access sensitive information from their accounts. But following reports that an AI-generated voice trained to sound like a specific person could be used to access phone banking services overseas, Guardian Australia has confirmed that the voice print system can also be fooled by an AI-generated voice. Using just four minutes of audio, a Guardian Australia journalist was able to generate a clone of their own voice and was then able to use this, combined with their customer reference number, to gain access to their own self-service account. The website, of course, bills itself as secure, accurate, and reliable, and explicitly says it can't be fooled by recordings. But the basic here is that biometrics is not going to completely save us from the hassle we have today with passwords and two-factor authentication. Um, That's what the researcher said. And I definitely agree. I think that having multiple forms of authentication is really good. Um, It's good that you have to have a reference number. So that's already something that, you you know, just make sure you're protecting. Um, Make sure you're protecting the phone number on your account. Just try to save as much as you can um, from the public eyes so that, you know, even if someone has your voice, like they're uploading to YouTube all the time, um, you still don't have a concern there. Let's go ahead and move over to politics. We're going to start off with
0: Amazon being sued for not telling New York store customers about facial Recognition. So, this is concerning the Amazon Go convenience stores, which we've talked about many times in the past. Uh, Basically, Amazon tried to set up these convenience stores where you didn't actually have to pay. Like, you can just walk in, grab whatever you want off the shelves, walk out, and it'll uh, identify you, link to your Amazon account, and charge you accordingly. Uh, I think there was one, like something about a palm print, I think, maybe. So maybe when you walk in, you scan your palm, and then you just grab what you want and walk out. But either way, it tracks you around the store and detects when you've taken items and charges you for them. Quoting the article, Amazon did not alert its New York City customers that they were being monitored by technology that tracks their bodies, shapes, and sizes, as well as their palm prints, a lawsuit filed Thursday alleges. In a class action lawsuit... Lawyers for Alfredo Perez said that the company failed to tell visitors to Amazon Go convenience stores that the technology was in use. Thanks to a 2021 law, New York is the only major American city to require businesses to post signs if they're tracking customers' biometric information, such as facial scans or fingerprints. An Amazon spokesperson said that its stores did not use facial facial recognition technology and claimed that the technology they did use to distinguish shoppers did not constitute biometric technology. They declined to comment on the signs, unquote. That's kind
1: of all there is. We'll keep you guys updated. Yeah, that's all I got. So Brazil had a secret program to track people's location via cell phone. In the first three years of the former Brazilian president, the country's intelligence agency, ABIN, secretly operated a tool that could track the location and movements of its citizens. The tool, called First Mile, allowed, without any justification, the intelligence agency to monitor the locations of up to 10,000 phones every 12 months. Aside from their location tracking, the tool could provide real-time alerts of a target's movements at different locations. The use of the tool was so controversial that ABIN agents questioned it, which resulted in an internal review. The tool was purchased in 2018 and used until mid-2021. So this is just coming out now. It's interesting how in Brazil this, you know, uh, you know, it is bad, but like 10,000 phones isn't, a huge amount given the population of Brazil and they like were like, oh this is like scary and kinda of, it sounds like they've dropped a tool. I don't know if they have a replacement or what's going on now, but it sounds like this specific program has been disbanded. And in the US we just casually track millions and millions and millions of phones with tons of different programs from different U.S. agencies at any given time on our own U.S. citizens with no justification, just like this, and no one seems to bat an eye. Okay, our next story comes from
0: the Netherlands. Uh, It says Facebook's behavioral ads lacked legal basis, Dutch court rules. Dutch privacy advocate group, the Data Privacy Foundation, or DPS, along with a local consumer protection nonprofit called uh, Consumentenbond. Filed a suit against the company formerly known as Facebook back in 2019, arguing the social networking service was in breach of EU data protection rules by failing to obtain permission from users to access their data for ad targeting. Additionally, the court found that the company had failed. uh, The court did agree with them. Sorry. So the court agreed with them on that count. Additionally, the court found the company had failed to properly inform users or have a valid legal basis for passing the information to a third party. Unquote. There were a couple other uh, things in the lawsuit that I believe were dismissed. So Facebook won some of these things, but not all of them. And they have, of course, vowed to appeal. So yep, that's, uh, that's where we're at right now. And we'll keep you guys updated if we hear anything else. But I'm just loving all these lawsuits that just keep coming out saying like, yeah, Facebook and Google are definitely and Apple are not complying.
1: They're not complying with GDPR and they got to change. I love it. India plans new security testing for smartphones and is cracking down on pre-installed applications. India plans to force smartphone makers to allow removal of pre-installed applications and mandate screening of major operating system updates under a proposed new security rule. Um, This seems cool, but uh, we can definitely see some hesitance here as India hasn't really made a lot of good pro-privacy moves. Um, And also we have questions of like, what will they screen for and how in-depth will this be? How many rights will this give individuals? Um, And so I guess we just need to see more information about this. I like it, but again, like India has been kind of on an anti-privacy movement. So we'll see where this goes. Okay. With that, we'll move into the free and open source news section. And
0: we're going to start with WordPress owner Automatic, who has acquired an activity pub plugin so blogs can join the Fediverse. Automatic, the company behind wordpress.com, Tumblr and other web publishing tools is the new owner of ActivityPub for WordPress plugin of the ActivityPub for WordPress WordPress plugin and has also recruited its developer to come work for the company according to the CEO. The newly acquired plugin allows and.com blog owners to reach readers on federated platforms. Once installed, readers are able to follow the blogs on their preferred federated platform, view the blog posts and reply with comments. The replies posted to a federated site like Mastodon then becomes blog post comments, which is pretty neat. In my opinion, the CEO said by going in-house with automatic, the developer will have access to further resources and support to make the plugin more functional over time. The article also notes that ActivityPub is not the only protocol automatic is testing. The company has also been testing Noster and blue sky or the AT protocol specifically. So Uh, Yeah, it looks like WordPress or Automatic, really. It looks like they're definitely interested in the Fediverse
1: and Federation and uh, reaching new audiences. Up next, iVPN, which is a VPN company that we generally like back here. They do a lot of good stuff. Just finished an infrastructure security audit. So they decided it was necessary to upgrade their VPN gateway servers to a major new OS version, which included many configuration changes. This also provided a good opportunity to audit the new servers in their testing environment before deploying them to production for customer use, which is really cool. Um, They did find three security vulnerabilities and five miscellaneous issues that were discovered, one medium, six low, and one was an informational bit. All issues have been remediated, and as a result, they're now planning the upgrade of their infrastructure with the new configuration. They have made the Cure 53 report available for those interested in the details. For transparency, they decided to publish the full report with only potentially sensitive information removed, like internal host names and things like that. So good job to make that public. Not everyone makes their audits public. So good job, IVPN and I think this is good.
0: Okay, and our last FOSS story says, Firefox Android's new privacy feature, Total Cookie Protection, stops companies from keeping tabs on your moves. God, how long ago did this launch on the rest of their...
1: Okay, here, let me just... I feel like this has been launched so, like five different times now, but maybe that's just me.
0: But on different browsers, because they're doing the Proton <laughs> thing where it's like, now it's out for iOS, now it's out for Android, now it's out for Linux, now it's out for Windows, now didn't, it's out for Mac.
1: And on top of that, didn't this originally... Wasn't this released in incognito or private windows first, and then it rolled out to regular, and then it was for, uh, okay, yeah, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, no,
0: Firefox does that a lot, where they'll come out with a new, which I, I, I guess, I guess I understand the idea of not wanting to roll something out to everybody all at once, but isn't that what your beta channel's for? So, I don't know, but Yeah. So, quoting the article, meet Firefox's total cookie protection, which stops cookies from tracking you around the web, and is now available on Firefox Android. Last year, Firefox rolled out our strongest privacy feature, TCP, across Windows, Mac, and Linux. TCP works by maintaining a separate cookie jar for each website you visit. Anytime a website or third-party content embedded website embedded in a website, excuse me, deposits a cookie in your browser, Firefox confines that cookie to a cookie jar assigned to that website. This way. No other websites can reach into the cookie jars that don't belong to them and find out what other websites cookies know about you. Uh, Now you can say goodbye to the annoying ads following you around and reduce the amount of information that companies gather about you whenever you go online, unquote. So basically, this is like the Firefox containers plugin. It's not quite as powerful because with containers, you could literally like pick different containers and you could sign into like multiple instances of the same website, things like that. But in terms of behind the scenes and isolating all the cookies to the website, that's basically what it's doing. It's isolating all the cookies
1: to every single website you visit, which as it says, really helps with uh, tracking and advertising and stuff like that. And uh, I'm seeing here no misfits, so I assume no misfits.
0: With that, we'll jump into the Q&A section. We have a lot of questions this week. I think we'll be able to get to all of them. But uh, just kind of like we were saying before, in the future, we might have to start being a little more selective because, man, there were a lot this week. But without further ado, we'll start with Maldus, who says, I like being in control of my data with a self-hosted cloud. I'm technically proficient enough to do it. Any thoughts about inviting friends and family to use your server? How would you convince them that Nextcloud, for instance, is better than G Suite for their data, and that you could be trusted to know what uh, to keep it safe for them? Personally, I don't. I do invite friends and family, but I don't try to convince them. I just kind of let them know, like, "Hey, I run my own cloud. If you guys ever get tired of Google or Dropbox or whatever you're using, please let me know. I will be more than happy to invite you." Um, that's actually how I got one friend using my Jellyfin server. Uh, just kind of mentioned it to her that I had one and told her, like, if you want to add any movies, just let me know and I can add them for you. Yeah, I'm kind of past the point of trying to convince people to do things, to be totally honest with you, unless it unless it concerns me, like trying to convince somebody to use Signal or, or whatever messenger I want to use. But when it comes to stuff like that, I just kind of let people know the options. And you'd be surprised how often people are interested. I have one friend who actually came to me shortly after the whole Apple uh, CSAM scanning thing when they first announced it, which for anyone who's missed the memo, they dropped that. But moving on. Um, he actually came to me and he's like, dude, I'm tired of Apple. I'm tired of Google. Help me look into alternate phones. And once I spun up Nextcloud, I told him, I was like, Hey, I got this up and running. You're welcome to use it if you want. And he actually texted me like, yes, absolutely. I would love to use that. Yeah. I'm past the point of trying to convince people. I just let them know
1: it's out there. And if they have questions, they know where they can go. That's what I do personally. I don't have a huge amount of experience here because I just recently got the Synology box up and running like the last month or two. Um, but I did have one instance where, well, one, we're using it for collaboration internally. And I guess I have, uh, the privilege of just getting to decide whatever I want to do within tech lore. So i am be like, Hey guys, we're using Synology now, so we're going to use it. Um, So yeah, you can also just be everyone's boss in your life. That's a good approach. Or uh, I did like how Synology Photos allows you to share. So uh, some people had to send me photos, they sent them to me on Signal, but even Signal with high quality filters selected, um, because you can change the quality of the images that people send you, it's still kind of low quality. So I sent them a link to upload to my Synology Photos. Um, So that's like an easy way to do that. I could set up an account for them and have them upload there but i'm looking to keep it more work focused you can also just do it and not say anything and most people won't even know it's self-hosted if it's something like sharing a link upload your photos here please all right next question is from frank s uh on henry's social media i assume mastodon because that's all i have at this point i saw he liked something from hunix can you please explain for which threat models this is this is an interesting tool and how this is better than using a trusted vpn for all traffic and using tor as a browser because to me, it seems pretty similar. Good question. Um, I, I, I would struggle. First off, I would say like you're comparing a trusted VPN for all traffic and using Tor browser. Like Those are already two very different tools right? Like a VPN has its own perks that we talk about, which generally comes down to like stopping your ISP from being able to see what you're doing, and also hiding your IP address from websites. That's typically the core thing most VPNs offer, whereas Tor does those two things as well. But it also is anonymizing your web traffic within the Tor session to blend you in with millions of other users. So that way, you're actually getting a layer of anonymity on your actual web browsing. Because if you're just using a VPN in your normal web browser, there's so much just being left out there. So that's where Tor is very useful. Hoonix takes this concept to an operating system level. So Tor Browser works on this anonymity layer within a browser, but if you want an entire operating system that's designed from the ground up to be anonymous, that's when you're using Hoonix. If you're asking where that's relevant to your threat model, I would already be saying it probably isn't. Um, general, just generally speaking, is what I tend to see people who are asking about more complex tools. Um, it doesn't mean you shouldn't test it out. doesn't mean you can't play with it. doesn't mean there's any harm in playing with it. You can run Hunix on most likely your laptop because it's virtual machine based. So you can probably just run Hunix on, on a VM. So go ahead and try it out. See what it's like to use. But generally speaking, think of Tor and how it anonymizes your web browser and how that's going to be done on an entire operating system. So from the moment you boot up, everything will be routed through Tor on that entire operating system. Everything is done within Hoonix to try to blend you in with everybody else that's using it. So I don't know if you have anything else to add there, Nate. No,
0: I think that's kind of a... Um, so there's like the Tor browser, which like you said is the browser that anonymizes your, your browsing data. And then there's Tails, which is the whole operating system is anonymous. And it's, you know, ephemeral. It doesn't leave any data because it all runs off the USB stick. And in my opinion, I feel like Hoonix is kind of like the middle ground between those two things because you get the the security uh, – for the record, virtual machines are not perfect. I'm well aware. But you know, you get the security of a VM where for the most part anything you do in that VM is isolated and can be very easily deleted or reverted. Um, but you still get the, the ease of use of not having to like shut down your whole computer, boot into Tails, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've definitely – I haven't used it in a long time. I will admit that. But for a while, I was – trying out Hoonix and I actually liked anyways. Yeah. My point being like I was using it for a while. I really liked it. I didn't have any issues with it. Um, like he said, it's just, it gives you some additional protection and anonymity and I would just use it for basic searches, but yeah, I'd say to check it out if you're curious, like he said, like there's absolutely nothing to be lost from trying it. And if you try it and decide that it's not right for you for whatever reason, then just delete it. Like you, you haven't really lost anything. Our next question comes from a non-patron. It says, I know Mint Mobile has been recommended a lot as a good prepaid plan, even though T-Mobile, who uh, they use T-Mobile who have been breached so many times. So are all prepaid plans equally bad for privacy? And what do you recommend looking for when looking at prepaid MVNOs? Would the ones you find in every supermarket be just as good? Um, so I think I think when it comes to T-Mobile being breached, the reason so many people recommend Mint Mobile is because they don't require at, at the time of this recording, they don't require any information about you to sign up. You you get the sim card, and then you can put in any name and email address for your account. You can be John Doe at whatever at simple and it works. And so in that sense, you say like T Mobile's had a lot of breaches, and they have, but most of those breaches, I think with the exception of maybe one, and I could be remembering that wrong, all those breaches have been account data. It hasn't been content. It hasn't been like T-Mobile's had a breach, including 150,000 text messages. I swear my brain is telling me there's been one. As far as I know, all of the data breaches have not included historical content, like text messages that were already sent. Um, Like Henry said, the account data can be taken at which point somebody could social engineer your account. But I I personally preach voice over IP, which is significantly harder and actually doesn't really matter. Like as long as you have connection, which you can get from Wi-Fi, You'll still get your messages. People, it's really hard to steal a voiceover IP phone number. Um, and and again, with Mint Mobile, you can put in any information in the account. So it's, it, there's nothing for them to steal. Like they have a fake name. They have a forwarding email address. They have a phone number that you're not using for anything. It's basically zero risk. Um, and to me, that's what I look for in in like a prepaid plan. Even if you go with like Verizon's prepaid plan. Most prepaid plans, because you're paying in advance, they don't really care what information you put in because... They're not chasing you down for a payment. They're not chasing you down for a phone payment. So uh, in my opinion, I don't think it really matters who you go with in that sense. Um, That's more what I would look for is like who's got the price, who's got the features you need and who offers two factor if that's an option. But ideally, the whole point of these is to make sure that as little of your information as possible is on record with the carriers in case of a data breach. That's what I look for.
1: To go that's the, exactly the way i look at it too when i sign up for a phone plan it's like okay what phone plan should i go with assuming that all my data with this company will be will be leaked in a month and that's why i like mint mobile mint mobile because it's like okay simple login alias exposed privacy.com card exposed you don't even have to do privacy.com card online if you bought it in person so uh, okay cool yeah breach my data and i'm not using sms again i told like i said earlier like i'm my cell phone plan. I'm not using mole anymore, but when I was like, um, I could have had things go to different numbers. So, yeah, sorry, not, not, nothing that you haven't said. So, <laughs> totally agreed. All right, next question is from AB who says, General thoughts on telematics for insurance, such as progressive snapshot, both the plugin and the app, or root insurance. So, I think what you're referring to here is pretty much people utilizing data and telecommunications and uh, different pretty much like pe- these companies using data to make people's insurance cheaper, in theory, because you're getting more data about people's driving habits. So progressive snapshot and root insurance, what this is, is it's an app you download onto your phone, you keep it running, and it essentially picks up on your driving behavior, and that helps decide what your insurance rates are going to be. Um, And this isn't specific to car insurance. This is health insurance. You know, theoretically, you can, in theory, I don't know if this is a thing. I wouldn't be surprised if it is. But in theory, you could send a DNA sample to an insurance company, and they're going to be like, oh, so you're at risk, so we're going to charge you more. Or they're going to offer you a discount because you're not at risk for certain things. So we're moving I think there's a health trackers that are starting to do that
0: now. Like, you can sync it up with your Fitbit data, and they'll give you a discount if you're, like, exercising regularly and stuff
1: like that. Yeah, I believe it. Don't quote me, but I think that is a thing. I believe it. And Tesla, I think, does the same thing, actually, as these companies. Tesla Insurance, uh, you can enable something in your Tesla Insurance that allows your, your personalized driving habits to help dictate your, your safety score and your, your insurance costs and all that stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's great on the surface. It's one of those things, like everything that's privacy related, generally the reason why we got here is because there was an attractive selling point to something. You know, we look at Facebook, you know, Facebook rose to power because people wanted to connect and it's a great way to connect and be able to um, communicate with people you love and have that relationship. But little did we know that would turn into this behemoth of an issue um, that led to really most social media platforms being this problematic stuff that I would argue is at this point detrimental to society, um, the way I see it at least. And so like most technologies, it sounds great on the service and it starts with great benefits. But the way I see this going is it's going to screw over a ton of people. Data will be misused. People are going to want to save a little bit of money and they're going to submit things they shouldn't submit. Um, and I don't like this direction. Um, I already don't like the concept of insurance. this I know this is kind of like my uh, super optimistic, not very realistic way of thinking here, but I don't already like the concept of insurance being tailored to anyone really because it doesn't make sense... I understand using data. I I totally get it. I know why they do it. But it doesn't make sense how like there could be a perfectly decent 20 year old driver who's never had any incidents and will never have an incident that has to pay three times as much for their insurance as someone who's 45 and has had previous incidents in their past and might have another one. I get why they do it that way. I totally get the data. I know they have the stats to back it up. But I'm just saying, in theory, that already is kind of a problematic thing in my in my eyes. And to make that even more personalized, I get where they're going with it. But I have other concerns with the privacy implications of that and some of the long-term consequences of um, making these things ultra-personalized. Like, are, are people just going to be uninsured if they're just pricked when they're born and they find out they're going to have a disease in 50 years? I, I don't know if that's a world I really want to live in, so... I don't know if you have thoughts there. Have you seen the movie Gattaca? I have seen the movie Gattaca. It's a good movie. Okay. It is. It's a classic. If if anybody's
0: okay with sci-fi, I know some some people have like genres that they're just like, I'm sure it's a good movie, but I hate that genre. I can't do it. If you're a sci-fi fan or you don't mind sci-fi, I definitely recommend you check that movie out. It's, um, it's kind of a classic, but it's not really talked about a lot. And it 100% deals with everything you just said. Uh, as far as the actual question, these progressive snapshot and things like that, I absolutely despise them. Uh, I tried one for a while because I was at a point in my life where I I was kind of hitting that point where and I wasn't really making a lot of money. I mean, I'll just put it that way. I wasn't making a lot of money and I was trying to like squeeze every penny I could. And so I was like, okay, I know these things suck for privacy, but let me go ahead and download this. We'll see how much it saves me. If it's a considerable amount, then I'll just go ahead and take the hit. And I kid you not, this thing dinged me every time I braked at a red light. And for the record, I accelerate fast. I'll own up to that. Never once dinged me on the acceleration, but I'm an okay breaker. And it dinged me every single time. And it pissed me off so much because every time the light would turn yellow, I'd start slowing down and I'd hear it beep angrily at me. And it's like, okay, so you just want me to run the red light? Like, what do you want me to do here, dude? I hate these things. They're garbage and I hate them and they're not accurate. Having said that, as with everything, my, my opinion here is going to be, if you need it, you need it. Like if you're a perfect driver, according to its impossibly godlike standards, if you're a perfect driver and you're like living paycheck to paycheck, and this thing saves you like 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks, then by all means, like you need that money. You need to eat and things like that. I totally get it. But Personally, I would say try to avoid them if you can. I I would imagine they probably don't save you that much money ultimately, and I'm not sure it's worth the privacy invasion. And again, I cannot harp on it enough. In my experience, they don't work for crap anyways, so why even waste your time?
1: But yeah, it's up to your situation. It's definitely not privacy-respecting. If we're yeah, no, referring not a, to just privacy here, I would definitely high, hardcore avoid these. <laughs> I mean, I would assume that would be a given, but... <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: literally tracking your vehicle. At best, it's tracking your driving habits, which it's probably not hard to figure out. Like, okay, let's say you come out of your, your neighborhood or your apartment complex or whatever, and if you go right, there's a, a red light within you know 500 feet. If you go left, there's nothing for like a quarter mile it's probably not hard to look at the pattern of how often you break coming around that corner and figuring out like which way you went. That's assuming it doesn't even record which way you turn in. I I don't know. It seems like it'd be really easy to infer the information is what I'm trying to say. Even if it doesn't overtly track your location like an app does, it can still probably figure out where you're going. So it's, yeah, definitely a privacy invasion. But again, some people like if you're literally living paycheck to paycheck and you're like, dude, this thing can put 20 extra bucks in my pocket every month, then I mean, hey man, I get it. You got to do what you got to do, but our next question comes from M. It says, I'm about to buy Yubico security keys, but I can't see any reason to prefer the Series 5 that supports TOTP, HOTP, OpenPGP, and cost twice as much since I'm going to be buying backups. Do either of you own a Series 5? And if so, is it because you were concerned about your TOTP phone app being hacked? Uh, to me, it seems easier to backup seeds from Aegis and cold storage than to rely on a set of backup Series 5 keys. I do have a 5 Series. To be honest, I mostly bought it just to kind of future-proof myself, if I decided I wanted to load up OpenPGP or um, use any of those more advanced security features, then I will. I'm not going to lie to you. I mainly use it for FIDO and WebAuth, like everything else. And the only thing it really does that like a solo key or a nitro key or one of those lesser, or not lesser, but like lower model keys can't do from Yubico, the only thing it does is like challenge response so I can lock my uh, key pass vault. Other than that, it it doesn't do anything special. I don't really use it for TOTP. If you know for sure you're not going to use that stuff, then I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you're not going to use it, I don't, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think you should spend that much money either. I'd get one of the less expensive keys that does the same thing.
1: All right, last question from Fred Blogs. If you're going to research yourself online, what's the most private way to go about it? For example, other sites to avoid is the risk of exposing your IP address and therefore location. It looks like you have kind of two questions here. So the first one, we'll just start there. I don't know if you're researching yourself you you know you're it's <laughs> the privacy implication here is you possibly have public information about yourself online and that's what I'd be more concerned about um so and that's publicly accessible to anyone so I don't actually know what the privacy implication is for you looking for yourself online if you are concerned about that and you don't want you you don't want these sites to think that you, the individual, Fred, let's say your, your name is actually Fred, you don't want Fred to know that Fred is looking for Fred on Fred's public data website, you know. I, I think that's what the concern is there, but if you're really concerned about that, just load up Tor Browser and just look for Fred via Tor Browser and call it good. That solves your problem. Is that I, I will actually say, to Fred's defense, um, back when I used to
0: do manual uh, uh, data removal, a lot of sites are starting to block VPNs in Tor. Like White Pages, mm. you can't get onto White Pages with a VPN.
1: Well, if that's the concern then, what I would recommend is enable the hotspot on your phone, go downtown, closest downtown go to you McDonald's live to, Go to McDonald's, yeah. use their Wi-Fi, go to downtown, use your hotspot. So it's just a generic cell IP address. And just do that and don't do it from home. But honestly, I don't know what the real concern is here. I, I, I really don't personally. Um, I can see how if you're really concerned about this, like I, I get the concern, but also like my bigger concern there is you might have publicly available information online that anyone can access regardless of it being you. So I don't think it's a huge deal. And if like Nate said, if you actually have to access these sites and do manual removal, they're going to ask for your information anyway. A lot of times they're going to, some of them are going to ask for your driver's license so like that's it's just kind of part of the game like this is already a sucky situation and i would not be concerned about my ip address it's like one of the last things i'd be concerned about personally um i think that's a good perspective because i've had that issue
0: too when like running into like white pages that won't load and i'm like man do i really want to turn off my vpn but like you said like okay they might get my home they might get my ip address but the alternative is my home is already there with my full name and date of birth that anyone else can access like
1: yeah, that's much worse. That's right. a good perspective, I think. Right. And White Pages can't directly get your home. They'll just get, like, a city. Unless you think that White Pages is going to try to, like, get data <laughs> from your ISP and tie your ISP home home address to – but they're likely not. I mean, going.
0: my ISP is probably selling my location data. I would not be surprised. They're dirtbags. I, I believe that. I get your point. They usually pull it
1: from public records, so. Right. Um, and the second question, are there any established privacy and security focused email providers that delete your IP address from the header? Uh, they should all do that. I don't think it's a concern anymore. If you use ProtonMail to Denota, really, really any of these private email providers, they should not be sending your IP address in the email header. In the past, uh, I guess for context, and I don't even think most common email providers do this. I don't even think Gmail does this anymore. But in the past, if you sent an email to someone and you looked into the the, the header information in the email, you'd see the IP address where the email came from. Um, I don't think that's a thing anymore. I think now you might see Google's IP address, like, oh, this came from this IP address from Google, but I don't think you're going to get the individual's IP address. But um, double check for each individual provider, but I guarantee you the private email provider's are not doing that. Okay, and that is it for this week. That was a lot to go through, but we
0: made it. We had the major zero days found in the Samsung chips that affect even the Google Pixel. So for those of you who are in the same boat as me, keep checking for updates, keep looking out for that. A ransomware victim is suing the hospital that leaked her nude photos. And again, we'll keep you updated on that. I'm sure we're gonna hear more about that story. Same thing with the Amazon and Meta lawsuits and much, much more. So stay subscribed so that you hear about all these developing stories. Again, we are entirely listener supported and we're very grateful for that. If you want to keep us going and get something in return, we have Patreon, $5 a month. You get to ask a question like everyone else just did. $10 a month, you don't have to listen to the spiel. You would get some of the other wonderful rants we went on this week. We had some good ones. If you're not interested in perks, but you just want to help support us on an automated, don't have to think about it kind of way, we have LibrePay. And if you want maximum privacy and anonymity, we have Monero. Again, we don't see anything about you. We just see that you have uh, given some and how much, and we are eternally grateful for all of our supporters, any way you choose to give, thank you. Last but not least, we wanna thank you for listening to Surveillance Report. We wanna ask you to share the podcast around, make sure that you are subscribed, give us a rating if you're on a platform where that is an option. We're trying to reach as many people as possible with the message of privacy, and you can help us do that. So thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week.